This is 680 CJOB. Welcome to The Main Ingredient. I'm Kevin Bergen, and a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with 680 CJOB's Greg Mackling on The Jeff Courier Show, and we talked about tipping in the restaurant industry, which we'll listen to in the second part of the show. But my first guests are Cam Chabot and Tammy Rock, who are the owners of a unique new restaurant located at 256 Stafford Street, and it's called Close Company. Morning, guys. Why don't we uh, start by explaining what Close Company is? Close Company is a 12-seat restaurant um, with an open kitchen concept and uh, everything in plain sight. And when we tell people it's small, uh, the first words out of their mouths when they walk in is, wow, this is small. And (laughs) it's because there's just no, you keep thinking there's something behind that door or that wall, but it's outside. Like it's all right there. It's all right there. So what, you guys decided you were going to open a restaurant. Was that the first space that you saw that you decided? Or did you get the space first and then decide what was going to go in there? Like, I'm kind of curious how it came about. We went there to see because we live across the street and uh, we were, you know, curious. Cam had been in there for the first time a couple months before for a haircut with the previous business owner. And uh, yeah, we were curious. I thought I might move my office into that space and it didn't really suit what I had in mind for an office space. But Cam's always had this dream of having a bar or a restaurant or something like that. He's a very social person. so I didn't notice <laughs> yeah, so I it just popped out actually. We over the years have discussed different spaces like specifically, but nothing ever felt quite right and like who wants to run a restaurant really and then, but somehow this idea just popped out of my mouth and then like 3 weeks later we had signed a lease without uh, a really an idea of what the restaurant was going to be. We just decided to get it and go for it. So there was no planning, actually. <laughs> That's always good to know. <laughs> so when you signed the lease, in your mind, you'd already contemplated, you already decided that this was a restaurant. Other ideas had come in your head for the space at that point? Or it was always, hey, you know what? This is a restaurant. Well, the for rent sign went in the window. And it's, it's a unique street in the sense that there's a few restaurants and uh, some other stores. And you just get the sense that it's a it's a it's a neighborhood on the rise in terms of um, maybe some commercial activity in that street in that area, so we were definitely interested in the space. Um, and when we walked in, we we quickly thought about a few things, but right away our tape measure was out to see if we could even possibly fit a restaurant in there. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks later, we'd we'd convince them, convince ourselves at least that it was possible. Okay, so obviously, usually when people you know, are taking up a new business or a business venture. They bounce it off their relatives and their friends. So you sign the lease. You two have discussed, yeah, this is a restaurant. Who's the first person that you tell that you're, you know, you're, you're coming up with another business. You're, you're going to open a restaurant and you bring them into the space. Their first reaction to, this, to the size of it is what? It was quite the secretive thing. So once we finally announced that we'd signed it, we had a couple of friends in, uh, had a celebratory uh, drink uh, to celebrate the future in the old barbershop. And then um, it was, uh, they were very supportive, but they tend to be supportive. So I would uh, discount their enthusiasm right off the top. (laughs) And it was seven months straight of, um, you know, planning demolition and uh, building out and uh, then we opened in february of uh, this year like a soft open you guys didn't announce your opening like how did you how did you do the opening uh, you know what we did something ridiculous we opened for three nights and we invited everybody we knew and we gave everything away for free so that was an expensive weekend but it was a lot of fun and it just proved 
Well, it was the most important weekend because we were full and we did two turns a night and we proved that we could do it. Right. You know, there were some things lacking, but everything kind of more or less went. The food was good. The drinks were good. And we were able to serve that many people, which was the goal, right? So Yes, because the equipment is such a challenge. We didn't know if it could actually do what we were hoping it could do. And if the flavors and the food would be there and... Yeah, I don't know. It was just a real big challenge the first weekend. And we looked back after that weekend and we thought that it was amazing, that Frank did an amazing job. Yeah, our chef, Frank McCann, he came on board just a couple of weeks prior to us opening. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had done some work with a consultant. um, Matty Frost. Matt Frost from Earl's. He was a kitchen leader for Earl's for a lot of years. So we, we hired him to kind of formalize our our menu so we had something to open with right. and uh, we'd hired another cook as well from another uh, top restaurant and um, and created an opening menu and then Frank came in and embraced it and then quickly made it his own and and, and ran with it um, but we, we were doing it with some unconventional equipment as well because of our spacing we don't have a full kitchen so we bought some key pieces of uh, very expensive equipment that can do multiple things and we didn't even we, – we really took it on the word of our vendors and our suppliers and our, our staff that all the things we were talking about was even possible. That was the neat part. You're talking, you're talking about the, the suppliers of your equipment. That's right. Like they're, they're telling you, hey, it's built for the, a certain small space. This is what it can do. And Yeah. You can cook this, this, and this in this amount of time and you can do these types of things and – is still at a very high quality, and that was the key because we wanted to open a, a restaurant that was known for its quality as well as its, its uniqueness, right? So, um, and it really the, until that weekend, that was we just didn't know if it was still going to work, right? We invested all that time and effort and money, and and then it finally came together. And I guess with that kind of equipment, I guess specialized equipment, you can't you can't test it out until it's in. Like you don't know it's good. You until have a you... sense uh, that it should work, but yeah. I mean, honestly, until you're cooking for sixty people. Well, we did do like a one test run in a test kitchen mm-hmm. with that piece of equip the piece of equipment that was the best that sorry does the most in the kitchen. So we saw that it could work, but we didn't get to test our recipes until probably a couple days before. And yeah. then, the good folks at Pratt's yes. uh, have a test kitchen and a chef and they all their equipment on display. So you can go in there. And Frank did actually go in uh, one week prior and he was able to uh, – he actually didn't believe that the oven could do all the things we said it could do. And then when we went in, he says, well, okay, this is possible now. Then he got really excited. So right. that was the fun part. That's good to be verified by somebody who's going to be doing the cooking, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this restaurant opens. Uh, you two convince yourselves that it's uh, it's a great venture. Um Anybody else? I know there's the two of you. There's one more person, right? Yes. uh, We convinced my older brother, John, who he enjoys kind of adventurous. What does he do? He's got adventurous (laughs) You. You over there. (laughs) So uh, John Rock is uh, Tammy's older brother, and he's a local engineer, and he was very excited about having some fun and owning a part of uh, a little kind of concept place like this. and. He's, That's a very manly name. He's got very John Rock. Yes. <laughs> Incredibly manly. You should Sorry see to... him. <laughs> so he's probably our number one customer as well. He loves the place. And, um, yeah, he just – he kind of drives – his his level of interest in it is uh, unwavering. So it's fun. He brings people all the time and we – you know, before and after Jets games and things like that. So it's, That's cool, eh? Yeah, it's fun. So he wasn't a hard sell. He, he pitched the idea at him or he came for the when, – when you guys had signed the lease and – was all in. Yep. He never 
really needed too much convincing. We just proposed the idea, told him we could do it, and he's like, yes. Like, you guys have full-time jobs. How do you do this? Right? Like, you, you're busy already, correct? Like, I know it's, a couple of things strike me is, yeah, you have full-time jobs, you're busy, and you live across the street, which has, a, has its advantages and disadvantages, right? Like, being close to work sometimes, uh, you know, it's work. It's right there. <laughs> What's that like? Yeah, I don't think we, I couldn't have done this if it weren't across the street because my business, my other business is really demanding and uh, I'm thinking about it all the time and it's just constantly on the brain. So like when I go home, it's, I guess it isn't great that it's across the street, but if it weren't there, then there would be no way that I could manage the time. Right. And Tammy does bulk of the uh, minutia work. Uh, I travel a bit, so I'm out of town a bit. So she's got her hands on the day-to-day a little bit more. But as we progress, we're trying to um, streamline the system a little bit and have people take ownership of certain tasks and and just kind of alleviate some of the daily running around that maybe uh, somebody like us or even her sister, Sonia, who also works there, kind of has to run around and do so. When we return, we will continue our talks with Cam and Tammy from Close Company Restaurant and get into some of the delicious items on their menu. We'll be right back. Okay, let's talk about the restaurant itself and the, the type of food and the menu. And um, Is it a pub style? What exactly? What, what kind of restaurant is it? Well, the food, the menu is designed to – it's very concise. So there are six dishes typically, and then there's usually a special of some sort. And uh, all of the food is very fresh, and we try to do local as much as possible. And the plates are designed to be shared. So they're big flavors in each plate, and you know it's it's portioned in a way that people come there and they sit, they chat, they – they take their time, yeah. right? Have mm-hmm. some fun, share some food, and um, hopefully talk to their neighbors a little bit because sometimes you're elbow to elbow. Um, so that's that's the key. We have some dishes. Uh, you know, As our website and everything gets developed, that'll all be accessible. But we have um, some of our more popular stuff, like a Moroccan meatball dish, a carpaccio dish, a really good beets and carrots dish. Um, for everything Frank does, you know, it has what we wanted was something that we're pretty talented cooks at home and her Tammy's family especially. Uh, it's it's hard to convince people to go out and spend money if the food is not even as good as it is at home, right? right. So the goal was to create something that, you know, wow, people awa- awaken some flavors and, you know, and some senses in them that they haven't had before. And and Frank really gets that done. So so the size of the restaurant, what's a turnover like when, when people come? Like you want them to stay, no doubt, and talk and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, hang out. But with it being with, – with space being limited, you know, you kind of want to make sure that everybody – well, of course, everybody can't get in, but you want at least as many people to experience your restaurant in a single night, right? Well, sure. You know, and on busy nights, um, I think we, you know, the really good part is people who, who grasp the concept are, are quick to, we don't have to say anything. Like mm-hmm. they're sliding over. If they're done, they're they're standing up and they'll finish their drink at the bar and pay up and go. That's kind of cool to watch. We don't necessarily encourage that. But then there's folks who just find us and they'll, they'll finish their meals and take their time. And yep. again... If there's people waiting at the door, would you just tell them to stand at the bar and wait and the table will open soon? It yep. usually all works itself out. But you get a sense that you know, somebody's looking to sit down and if you're done, you know, why wouldn't you want to get up and let somebody else sit down and, and finish up? You, there's no shortage of places you can go on the street and have another drink or have right. some, another dessert or do something else, right? So yep. Has that brought more business to your restaurant? Like I know there's a, there's a lot come almost like a restaurant row that's going on in that area now. So how has that uh, contributed yeah. to your business? I find that uh, the our restaurant neighbors, they – you know, maybe have been there longer than us or have been doing the restaurant thing longer than us. And 
they do send people our way before and after if they're they have a lineup waiting they tell them to come by have a drink with us and they'll send them over afterward for dessert or you know whatever so it is very friendly that way sure even blocks away some of restaurants we have some um, good neighbors over on lilac street as well and yeah their staff they, if they're sending if they're not sending customers over they're coming over themselves right so yeah, it's awesome it's fun you guys have been in that neighborhood for quite a while right mm-hmm so are there neighbors that you didn't know before, even though you've been there for a while, are there neighbors that you didn't know before that you now know because they're coming into your restaurant? Yep. People across the back lane, houses you've known forever, but never really met the people because, you know, for some reason or other in these neighborhoods, if you go out a certain door and they go out a certain door, you may never see right. a neighbor who's half a block down, right? right. So, or even timing-wise, yeah. you know, when you go to work and when you come back. Exactly. So, yeah, people have been coming in and just by those first few months spending a lot of time in the restaurant, we've certainly met a lot of people. So. Including, uh, we had a write-up in the free press just, uh, I guess, a week ago. Yep. And um, the editor uh, of uh, the columnist uh, came in the night before, and he lives on Harvard, like a block away. Oh, really? And said, hadn't seen the place yet, and was yep. in and loved it, and had had a great time, and was really excited that he was able to approve the column for uh, the, the following day, right? So it's just cool. It's just, you're making all kinds of connections. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's say the restaurant's almost full. There's a couple spaces, maybe, and you have one person coming in. Do you find that people are will easily join other tables? Well, I think that uh, when people are sitting at a table and a new table comes in and they're at a four top and they're sitting there, two of them, they actually try to make eye contact with the people at the door or the server or whoever, and they invite, like we, like Cam said, we don't have to try too hard. They're just, come sit with us. We'll make room for you. And they actually slide over and... Yeah, we had a huge table in, and there was 10, a huge table of 10. <laughs> and uh, like four of them left, and they ended up just scrunching all around one table because they saw that there was two other tables standing there, and that's not typical for a big table. They usually like to, you know, they spent a lot of money, they want to stick around, and they f- feel as though they've paid for their spot for right. the night or whatever, which is understandable, but... They don't really seem to uh, do that. When that we, Before we opened, we had a lot of our friends, again, like we go back to bouncing these ideas off friends, and uh, some of them said, you know, a lot of people just don't like to share space. And I kept saying, yeah, but if they don't, they don't have to come in. You know, there are people who do like to share space, right? right? So there's enough people, there's enough spots for everyone in the city. So I, I just was never concerned that someone would come in and feel uncomfortable in there. I think people who come in immediately thrive on it. Just, right. they, they're enjoying it, right? So that's what I've seen so far. Right. I think, too, for every one person that doesn't like that type of thing, there are two or three that actually do. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it really doesn't matter, right? And again, it's, it's a, a neighborhood. So it's not just us meeting our neighbors. It's other neighbors meeting other neighbors. Right, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a place where if you go into another place and you sit at a table and you have all kinds of space and room, you're not likely to talk to a complete stranger or someone you loosely recognize, right? You're mm-hmm. going to have to. But here you will because you're sitting right beside them. So a couple of years from now, when you guys are kicking around and this succeeds – would you open another one in another neighborhood? And if you did, do you think it would be the same in a different neighborhood? Hard to say. We've been approached by a few people with, you know, the same question. And I always say, you know, it would be much easier to open another one. We understand it a little bit better, what Mm -hmm. we need, what we don't need, what we do different. Um, You know, we'd probably add a few more seats. 20 would be ideal for this concept, you know, but we live with what we got. We had the space and that's what we had to work with. Um, 
you know, maybe if the right opportunity came up, it'd be a lot of fun. But again, you'd be entering a whole new whole new business dynamic. If it's not across the street, you'd have to have managers and all different types of things. So the business model would have to be a lot tighter. So um, when I came there, you told me that you guys were going to open a patio. Has it opened? Almost. Is it close? There's a wall up. <laughs> yeah. So that's something that's going to be open all summer once you once you open it, right? Like it's good to go. Permanent thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's there. Hopefully. You know, if we had it tonight, I think it would be probably full because I'm sure... That's beautiful outside right now. Yeah, the restaurant seems to be a little slower on the nights when it's beautiful out, when the peggers want to be outside. So, yeah, it's going to be there. It's another option. And uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's just, it's 12 seats and you can sit inside or you can sit outside at Mm -hmm. a restaurant. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Okay, so let's give people basic information on where it is, what are your hours... How do they get a hold of you if they want to? Um, yeah, we're at uh, Stafford and Grosvenor, 256 Stafford. Just yeah, south we're... of Grosvenor. Um, we're in between Travisi Restaurant and McKay Restaurant. Okay. And uh, we yeah. also, yeah, and then the Grove is just across Grosvenor, so we're south of them. So that's kind of, everyone kind of knows one of those places or all right. of them, right? Yeah. Um, and we're in the, we're the one, we still, still, I tell the story to everyone, we walk, if you sit in our restaurant and you see someone walk by, You'll see them look in the window, step back, look up at the sign, and then look back in the window because they don't didn't know it was there. And they've been to all these different restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are still discovering us all the time, right? It's still fun. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, hours. When are we open? Yeah. So we, we do, I say we, <laughs> like it's our business. We do a breakfast. Um, so it's kind of a fun. We do a very limited offering breakfast, same as the dinner menu, like 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. usually. Mm-hmm. We're playing with those hours because it's still kind of new. So it might end up being 7.30 to 1 or something. But we're, that information will be on the website or right. on Facebook. Um, and then we're open at 5 o'clock. Tuesday to Sunday uh, for dinner. And uh, basically, we stay open a little bit later, Fridays and Saturdays, but for the most part, midnight at the latest on the during the week. Gotcha. And I'm assuming you they're, they're on a re- reservations. It's first come, first serve. Well, we are we get a lot of people who want resos, but we, we just encourage them to come if they're in the neighborhood. It's usually not too hard to squeeze in. and uh, Or if they're coming from a little bit further away, just call ahead and we'll save a seat. Yep. You know, it's just that easy. But we're not going to get – we're not going to hold a book uh, open with resos. Uh, we do do private parties. I mean, it's been – it's really unique. People like the room and they want to have a, a party with 12 people in there and, and mm-hmm. a set menu. Well, we'll do that. Now, that's, that's a fun thing to do and it's a fun thing for Frank to do as well, right? right. It gives him an opportunity to do something unique for a group of people. Um, but beyond that, yeah, we're not typically a reservation place. It's more of a cocktail joint that serves good food. So It's perfect. You guys, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Tammy, Cam. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kevin. No problemo. <laughs> After the news, sports, and weather, we are going to return and listen to a conversation I had with Greg Mackling on the Jeff Courier Show about tipping in the restaurant industry. It's very interesting, so don't miss it. This is Kevin Bergen on The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. When we return, we're going to listen to a conversation I had with Greg Mackling on the Jeff Courier Show about tipping in the restaurant industry, which was sparked by an Earl's in Calgary implementing a 16% hospitality charge, a mandatory 16% hospitality charge instead of tipping your server. I'm wondering how everybody feels about that. That's coming up next on The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. Welcome back to The Main Ingredient. I'm Kevin Bergen, and a couple weeks ago, I spoke with Greg Mackling about tipping in the restaurant industry, which was sparked by Earls in Calgary implementing a 16% hospitality charge instead of tipping your server. Kevin, the restaurant business is one that uh, you and I are, I won't say all too familiar with, but we spend enough time in it to know it 
intimately and this idea of tipping and of course it's earls which is where we worked together back in the day has implemented this mandatory 16 percent service charge at one of their flagship restaurants downtown bankers hall in calgary if you've ever been to stephen avenue mall if you've ever worked in downtown calgary you've had lunch there before they just did a massive renovation and when they reopened they decided to institute the 16 percent charge what was your first reaction in hearing about that you know you can look at it from a lot of different points of view if you're looking at it from the restaurant point of view it's all good right you get to um your kitchen staff make more money, so they're going to be happy because there's a lot of times, you know, you and I know how it is. You're supposed to tip the kitchen, but the kitchen just doesn't get tipped. Oh, I forgot. Oh, you walked out. So, you know, you have these guys sweating, sweating uh, back there working at a thankless job who now will actually get compensated well. Um, also, if, you're, if you have mandatory tipping, um, if you're a customer typically and now you're being forced to tip, a lot of people, when they get bad service and, you know, obviously they will tip their server less and they won't say anything in the restaurant well if i'm being forced to tip you bet i'm going to complain and if you're a restaurant that is ideal right because the last thing you want is someone walking out of the restaurant then telling a thousand of their friends online how the service was and it was terrible and i hate that restaurant but now if they complain in-house i can handle it right then and there right i thought that that was always the best way to differentiate yourself in the restaurant world in that hospitality business anybody can sell shoes anyone can try and cook a steak and serve it to you anybody can rent a hotel room but it's how you handle it when things go sideways that separates you, in my mind, from the competition. And I like this idea that you just brought up that if now this service charge is something that I'm manda- mandated to pay for and I'm not getting what I pay for, it maybe gives the consumer a little more clout. 100%. And I'm going to voice it. I'm, I'm going to voice it right in, then and there because I want compensation. Now, as a server, oh, as, as a server, not so good. If you're a bad server, that's okay because, hey, you'll get your 16%. But if you're a good server, like when me and you worked, 16%, we were making like 20 or 30%. What people need to realize is that when you're a server, you're essentially an independent contractor. 100%. Your yep. suite of services, your suite of... Of, 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 of inventory is that menu. Yep. And it's my job to walk you through that, to provide hospitality in a, in, a, in a state and in a manner that represents not only the institution, but also myself personally. And I'm competing with you. I'm trying to re- represent in a different fashion. So what happens when uh, Kevin's food is ready for his table and I'm walking by and I got some other things to do? I'm a little bit less <laughs> inclined to run Kevin's food out to his customers because I've got my own customers to take. So it does take some of that competition amongst the service staff away as well. So back to uh, maybe a good thing. Right. Uh, maybe it will uh, help institute a little bit more teamwork. If that food's sitting there and uh, you wouldn't bring it out for me because you you know you have other your other things to do, well you're going to grab it now because as a team we have to make more money. We, we want to give uh, we want to give ser- good service and it doesn't really matter whether I'm good or bad. I'm getting the same pay anyway, so I might as well just take it. Does this not come back now to a conversation about maybe we should be paying more for restaurant food and beverage, eliminating the idea of tipping altogether? It makes it cleaner for income tax, cleaner for the government. And then you're attracting people that this is an incredible way to make a living. Mm -hmm. You know, for anybody that's done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can make a very good living doing this. Is this an opportunity to turn this maybe into a profession as opposed to a job? You think? I don't know. 
what I liked about the tip was the idea that it was an opportunity to gauge how it was doing. Was I providing good service and not wait until the end of the night? I would know immediately. I mean, I love instant gratification. There's nothing like finding that 20, you know, on a $100 bill or on a $50 bill and someone slipped you 20 bucks. You knew you were doing something special, but when you had two or three tables that weren't leaving you anything or leaving you minimal tips, it was... It was instant rate me mm-hmm. and an opportunity. It was like human Tinder. It's like you knew <laughs> you knew how people felt about you and you could shift you could shift your philosophy and maybe get your head out of your butt. When I think about our time at Earl's and I think about the doors and the opportunities that it opened, like, you know, Earl's is coming under a little bit of heat for this and what uh, decision they made. Uh, one of our uh, listeners pointing out the, the beef uh, decision that they flip-flopped on. Uh, there was a great respect of Earl's outside the restaurant community. In fact, it opened a lot of doors for me. I don't know if you can say the same. No, for sure. You met a lot of different people from a lot of different um, areas of life, a lot of different businesses that naturally did, yeah, opened a lot of doors for uh, me also. You and I both know that for every person that doesn't tip you, three or four people tip you even more than they're supposed to. So it all works out in the end. So sometimes you see people getting wound up because they didn't get, you know, they got lower than 10% or they didn't get anything at all. Meanwhile, the next two or three tables tip them heavy. So it all works out in the end. doesn't matter. I used to love when you call that, use that word. Right. Heavy. <laughs> Come on. That, back Wait, in the day. Heavy. <laughs> Biggest tip story. Can you tell it? Biggest tip story actually was at an Earl's, North Van Earl's. And I had, uh, this is back in, well, I don't want to date myself, so I'm not going to say the, the, the date. Um, I was don't... it in this century? <laughs> 1952. <laughs> um, I'd gone back there to do uh, as a little vacation, and they said, hey, we're going to, you want to come back and serve in the restaurant? It's just going to be the boys, and the restaurant's going to be dead, and, you know, we'll just, you know, serve, and we'll close it up and, you know, have a couple drinks later. So I'm like, sure. Uh, turns out the restaurant's dead, but... Um, I, my section is the only section that's busy and it's, it's Buzz Fuller who started Earl's and he actually owns that Earl. So he comes in with, with four of his family and the table expands to 10 of his family, then 15 and everyone who gets off their shift now joins. So the table's like 20 to 30 people and I'm working here thinking this is not a lot of fun. So after the, at the end of the night, after everybody's, you know, rah, rah it up as I'm serving them, um, the the manager, you know, he has to sign off his card and they're working on, he's asked me how much I want to want as a tip. Well, I'm not going to say how much I want. Like, you can tip me whatever, whatever you think. doesn't really matter. Um, so he signs his card, bus leaves, and I pull out the, you know, the, the card form and he tips me 1800 bucks. <laughs> Eighteen hundred on a seven thousand dollar bill. Now this was more than seven years ago, right? Yes. We don't have to worry about CRA coming back. <laughs> no, you not, that I claimed all of that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, eighteen hundred bucks, which was completely sweet. We'll return with more of Big Mac after the break. This idea of you know an imbalance in someone's salary and and that's making up the shortfall. And I don't know if that's where I was going originally. That's where I'm going now. And it ties back to, for a lot of people, this idea of a minimum wage. I had a job lined up in Australia back in the day, uh, only to find out that I was going to turn 26 while while I was there, and that made me ineligible for the work visa. Uh, But the pay scale back in the mid-90s in Australia for servers, A, it was different depending on the day of the week. Really? So you got, yeah, you got more on Sundays because that's a family day. Mm-hmm. You got a little bit more on Saturday than you did on Friday, but less than you did on Sunday. And then Monday through Friday was sort of the same thing. No tipping in Australia, but 
I'm talking 20 plus years ago, you're talking 13, 14, 16 dollars an hour to serve tables. And you and I have been to lots of restaurants all around all around North America. And this is a profession for some people. And they are damn good at it. 100%, right? So and service is key. If you've got, gone to places and had bad service, you have no problem paying for good service, right? And one of your text messages was... Um, referred to uh you know you know begging for begging for money kind of thing and rest of waiters they expect tips and i think our approach a successful waiter's approach is tips aren't expected but they're appreciated right so again like i said to you um, for every person that doesn't leave you money there are three or four people that do so at the end of the day it all works out so you're not going to sit there and not give someone great service just because you think they're not going to leave you money i'm just going to do my job kevin i'll agree with you that i that was always my bottom line philosophy it was about providing hospitality and letting people know what their options were helping them buy helping them augment their experience by learning about wine and pairing wine with certain foods, not selling them stuff that they didn't want, but helping them buy things that they did. And I like the idea of this romantic notion of it's appreciated, not expected. But when there's a 4% tip out attached to your sales at the end of the night, there is some pressure there. You know what? I'm, I'm making it anyway. Again, if, if, if tipping or the money that I'm getting for each tip if, if that's not my main concern, I'm primarily going to make more than that anyway because people aren't stupid. They, they can read you like a book. They sit back and read what you're truly about, and they can nine times out of ten can pick out what you're about, and they will tip accordingly. They know when you're doing it from the heart, and it is something that you can do from the heart. You can tell really quick when someone's doing it for the right reason. You, you mentioned that. You can read through people. Even now, you go to restaurants. Sometimes when you're a server, it's hard to sit back and actually enjoy the service and not oh. sit there and... And, and you know, enjoy your experience. You're too busy looking at what's going right and wrong, right? I have a, I have a tip for servers now. Here's my tip. What's your tip? If you come back to the table and the people you're serving are talking about other bad service experiences that they've had in the past, mm -hmm. chances are they figure they're getting bad service presently. <laughs> Just so you know, <laughs> I always used to love it when people say, "So, um, we've been talking, and uh, do you own part of this place?" When people think you're an <laughs> owner. And that you own part of the restaurant, you know that you are conveying the image that your employer would want. People want good service, and they're willing to pay for it, so why not let them? I like uh, the culture. I like the idea that uh, you pay for what you get, you get what you pay for. And it's a gray line with restaurants without question, but people who enjoy fine dining or medium-scale dining, whatever it is, you have that expectation that the water is full. You know, you pay $3.29 for a glass of ice with a little bit of Coke or Pepsi in it. Mm -hmm. Guess what? I want that full, <laughs> and I want it full the entire time that I'm here. And if you do that, and we used to talk about silent service and just bringing it. And this, this idea of hospitality, of treating people the way you treat them in your home. When you get a server that does that, they are worth their, literally worth their weight in gold. And, and, and that idea of hospitality is critical.
Sure, and hospitality is different. A good hospitality is different to different people, right? Some people, like you said, like the silent service, where they just kind of are having their conversation. You're just kind of slipping in and giving them what they need without they even without them asking for it. And some people actually want a conversation and a good server to you know engage with them. So it just depends on the person. Uh, Kevin, it sounds like uh, we are overthinking this. According to this text message, you guys are way overthinking this. Server brings food, smiles, and is friendly for mere minutes throughout the meal. I generally tip. The same everywhere. And after listening to this, I will drop my percentage significantly and some places nothing at all. Wow. I don't think it's being overthought at all. Again, if someone, there's two kinds of service, but there's two kinds of bad service. Someone is not good at their job, so they're just not good at it. Like there's a, there's a lot of multitasking there which some people just aren't good at. So, hey, if he's just not good at it, yeah, you know, I'm not going to give him an outstanding tip, but I'll still tip them. And then there's some people that are just plain rude. They, they ignore your table or they give you, you know, lackluster service. Those people I'm going to tip less. And I still tip them because, you know, I was in the industry. But for someone to, for me to give someone nothing would require like really rude, bad service. But again, you know, I don't think it's overthinking. It's my money and I want to give it to who I want to give it to. Right? And, you, and you have to realize in my mind that this is a profession for a lot of people. It's how they feed themselves. It's how they feed them sa- families. And they do an extraordinary job. There are a lot of really good servers out there who deserve the money that they make. Austin says some people th- think that they're better than you just because you're waiting on them. I treat you, uh, waiter, like they beneath you except uh, garbage service out of spite. Sometimes that happens as well. I don't know if I've ever executed it that way. I always killed them with kindness when they were, you know, ignoring me or or treating me a a certain way. And that's the difference between an order taker, though, and a professional, someone that can handle being ignored, someone that can handle being mistreated, let it roll off their back, continue on and let their night or day continue as it may. No matter how you're being treated, you take it like a professional, take it on the chin and you get a good night's sleep and return the next day. Straight up. If you like the service, tip well. If you don't, tell the manager. And you never know. It may change things. It may change your experience. Uh, this conversation has been terrific. Kevin, thanks for your time today. I know you were uh, you're kind of shoehorning me into your schedule today, so we really appreciate it. Great to run down memory lane with you and, and, and recall what it is about serving that I loved so much. I don't know if I could do it now. I don't think I have the patience. No, not at all. But uh, thanks for having me. But I appreciate all those that do the job. And you don't really, you can't really judge a job unless you try it. After the break, I'll tell you how you can enter the main ingredient contest to win dinner at Close Company Restaurant. We'll be right back. Hello again. This is the main ingredient. And I'd like to thank Tammy Rock and Cam Chabot from Close Company for being my guest today. And I'd also like to thank you for listening by telling you how to enter the main ingredient contest to win a $50 gift certificate for dinner at Close Company Restaurant. Just follow the main ingredient on Instagram and like our latest post about Close Company. It's that easy. I'll talk at you all next week. This is Kevin Bergen on 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.